Good morning, good evening, and goodbye, Dodger baseball. Welcome to From Bob's Office. It is Tuesday, October 15th. I'm Jake Mathis. And I'm Jacob Palmer. <laughs> yes, we're still getting we're still working on this. Anyway. And the next voice you hear is one of the most well-connected, well-traveled people I've ever known. He's been a major staple of our church community for over a decade and has probably forgotten more knowledge than Jake and I will ever accumulate combined. Mike Gentis, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks. So, Jake, how was your weekend? You know, my weekend started off pretty great. Um, I didn't really do much. Uh, Sunday, I sat in front of my TV and watched a black hole which happened to be what happened to, like, Fortnite exploded into a black hole, and we, me and my friends watched it for a very long time, including last night, staying up until roughly 2.30 in the morning, um, only to have to download something that took, like, 20 minutes to download, and it was pretty rough. And then servers were down, so nothing happened. So that was my weekend. Because that started, like, Sunday at 11 in the yeah, morning? Yeah, Sunday at 11 while we were sitting in church, and I get this notification from our friend that, Everything just broke. You need to look what happened. So I looked what happened, and everything broke. But And then just a black hole sat in the screen for a long time, and sometimes it would shoot out numbers. And the numbers translated to a message that I didn't care too much to memorize, and yeah. It was for like 39 hours. It was for entirely too long, but now that it's fixed and the game is significantly cooler than it has been in a long time, it's totally worth it. Khalil will probably say otherwise. <laughs> Khalil can be a hater sometimes. We also had <laughs> a really good Friday night. Friday night was Millican High School's homecoming, and I haven't been to a Millican High School football game since, I believe, 2003, which was the year I graduated. So I don't really have a ton of school spirit. <laughs> I don't rep us very well. But we knew you a like couple. like the Rams. I do like the Rams. That is true. And for those of you who don't know, this still blows people's minds, and it entertains me all the time. But Millican High School is the Rams, and our our school is named Robert A. Millican High School. So his initials are R-A-M, which spell Ram. Did not know that. And it's, every time people are like, what? I go, you just look at the – okay. So – Anyway, that's funny. But we were at the game. Jake and I went to the game because it was homecoming, and they were announcing at halftime homecoming king and queen, which also has the name Mr. and Mrs. Ram, which two weeks prior there was a pageant competition in which I think there were ten guys and ten girls or eight guys and eight girls, some combination of that, who were all competing for this. And our guy Josiah – was one of the finalists. Another kid I have, Brady, was also one of the finalists. And that was really exciting. There were five five guy finalists, five girl finalists, and then they announced the winners during halftime of the game. And so we're watching the game, and the game was rough. We were playing Compton, and we looked okay. Compton plays like Army. Compton <laughs> goes out run there. Run heavy. <laughs> all, run, run all the time, whether it was like receivers from the end coming over or just fullback dives or options to the outside. It was They attempted four passes the entire first half, though they did score twice um, overall. It was, it was 14 to 12, and Compton was driving at the end of the first half. And then they go to attempt their fourth pass of the game. The QB comes under pressure and threw the ball up to I don't know who, 
and the <laughs> Milliken, a Milliken lineman, I think, intercepted it, returned it for a touchdown. So that was exciting, and we were up 21-12 at halftime. And then they do all the homecoming stuff, and everyone's coming out in these pretty awesome cars. Josiah is in a pretty sweet Jeep hanging out the top of it. And they go, and they line up, and they start announcing fourth runner-up, third runner-up, and they announced second runner-up, and at this point, Josiah's name still hadn't been called, and we're like, what? This this is happening right now. It took a while to process, and we're like, a wait bit. a second, he <laughs> hasn't been called yet. He's still left there. And then he won, and we went nuts. We were so stoked for him. He was so happy. He was shocked. He he wanted it really, really bad, but he wasn't. Ex- I don't think he was expecting it. No, he said that he expected like maybe second place is what he expected, yeah. and then... And he, he won, and just blew it out of the he water, was apparently. so happy, and we were so happy, and that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, just standing up and screaming, and at one point, I think he made eye contact with us, but then he said he didn't remember, so who knows. <laughs> but I'm very proud of him, and it was very fun to watch him do what he loved. He came to he came to church Sunday morning with his Mr. Ram 2019 sash. And, and his shoes. Yeah, oh, his amazing black switch gold shoes. I don't yeah, know I don't know how them. to explain that. It's got that material that like when you rub it one way, it's one thing, and then you rub it, and they're like Suede? little... No, no, it no, wasn't no. like real. It's it was, like little tiny like glitter pieces almost, and you just yeah, flip them back and, and forth. They, like pillows have that yeah, sometimes? Yeah, okay. that's what I was thinking. So, like normally when I think of that, I think of pillows, and yeah. then I remember that there was this one Christmas sweater that I liked, and it said naughty, and then you hit it again, it says nice. And one time my friends had a Snapchat video of it, and she was going to do it really slow, and you just see me just kinda like shoot and just change it, and it was really funny. <laughs> so we were very, very excited and happy for Josiah. Um, and that was the would, highlight of our week. I would add my shout-out to Josiah. Good good young man, loves the Lord, and, uh, yeah, loves people. So glad they got to recognize him. That's cool. It was great. How was your weekend, Mike? It was good. Uh, I just got back from uh, this weekend. I got back from about 10, 12 days on the road. And so I had been back in Ohio and Indiana escorting some of our friends who are part of kind of our family of churches in the Central African Republic. Mm -hmm. So two of those leaders, uh, the director or president of the Association of Churches there, uh, we have about... 3,600 churches in Central African Republic. That's a lot of people. Uh, Yeah, they estimate about 100 per church, and so that puts about you know 360,000 members of those churches, adult members. No, no kids are included in their membership numbers. for integrity's sake. But anyway, so the, the president of that association, uh, Pastor Bavon Jonas, uh, was, was here, as well as uh, Dr. Uh, Gumape. Francois is his first name, but they go by their last name first. Anyway, uh, I got to escort them all around the Midwest, which was really cool. So uh, connecting with churches and that sort of stuff. But it did wear me out. So <laughs> I did get Reasonably. to see my kids uh, and some extended family in the, in the trip because I still have some back there. And that was good. Uh, so Friday, uh, I got back and chilled a little bit with the fam and that sort of thing. And then Saturday, uh, our church leadership had to get together. So uh, cruised up to the mountains in Lake Arrowhead, rode on the back of the motorcycle to go up to that and then back. So uh, the ride was nice and the conversation was good and that was good. And then Sunday, chilled out, watched a lot of football. So we'll talk about some of that yeah. here in a minute. I'm jealous that you have motorcycles and you can just cruise just it's around. Whenever. pretty fun. Yeah. Yep. I always thought good. about it, but if I, I feel like if I rode a motorcycle... I'd just be asking to die. Yeah, Jacob would look very funny on a motorcycle. Nah, you can get a motorcycle big enough, yeah. yeah. Just, you got to get, like, really high handlebars. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he needs those ape hangers. 
He would look cool uh, with those. I, the uh, only person that would be a six seven guy would look cool <laughs> with ape hangers. Nobody else. Maybe one day. Yep. It's worth it. It's fun. So we're going to transition into uh, some baseball talk really quick because I wanted us to record last Thursday. As I was thinking about it during the day Thursday, I was like, ah, it's too late to to get in the booth to deal with that. But there's some, there's a big event Wednesday night that that we got to watch in part was Dodgers-Nationals game five. And here's the deal. We know, we're aware that I don't like the Dodgers. So when the Dodgers lose, that's fine with me. And usually I celebrate. But this time, I wasn't celebrating that the Dodgers lost. I was celebrating that the Nationals won. And so the course of events for us that night is we had youth group that night. We had high school group. So we were we watched the start of the game for a little bit. And then we got to youth group. And while everyone's getting there and hanging out, we're still watching the game. We, like, put it up on the TV and stuff. But then when we actually, like, got down to doing things, we kind of lost track of the game for a bit. And it was during that point that Kershaw came into the game and that he gave up the two home runs. But, like, I didn't see them live. I just see after the fact that it's tied 3-3 three to three and it's in the ninth inning. We're like, oh, my gosh. So we take one kid home and we go get donuts. And we're on the way back to the house because we were going to go pick up Cody. And on the drive to the house is when it's in the – well, that was in the 10th inning, right? Yes. By then, yeah, it was in the 10th inning. And we're driving. And Howie Kendrick comes up, bases loaded. And in the car, I, I'm literally like, Howie – Please do not screw this up because there was zero or one outs at the time. It's like Howie just Kendrick had been so bad the whole series. He had like three or four errors leading up to that. He was, he was arguably their worst player at one point. It was horrible. And so he comes up and I'm like, please, Howie, do something good. And hits the ball. You you all we see because we're watching. Don't tell anyone. We're watching on my phone in the car as we're driving. And so it's Sorry, you know Mom. it's little, <laughs> and and you just see the ball go up in the air, and you're just like, please be far enough. That's what I like out loud in that moment. Please be far enough. You see the center fielder backing up. You see Bellinger going back. It's like yes, this, we're gonna at least get one. This is great. Then the ball goes over the fence. I yelled, and Jake can attest. I yelled so loud in the car. I was going nuts. I and thought we were gonna die. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> we were we were pulling up to a stoplight, and we were we were like a minute away from the house. So now I'm just wanting to get back to the house because I know Cody, Chuck, and Katrina are sitting in the house and watching, and I just want to run in there and yell so loud and happy because I know Cody is on my side, and I know Chuck and Katrina are not. And so we get in the house, and I am flipping out and pumping my fists and going nuts, and I was very very happy because I've been a Nationals fan for like. I don't know, six, seven, eight years now. Max Scherzer is my second favorite player in the league. And so I really wanted them to do well. And so I was so, so happy. And, yeah. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it, it was a a great way to finish our evening because goodbye Dodger baseball. <laughs> I, was, I was in Indiana, and so I'm three hours behind or ahead. So it's like 11.30 midnight, um, and I'm trying to watch the game and falling asleep and whatever. It's 3-1, to one and they're – I don't know why, but they're bringing Kershaw in. And so I was like, oh, this could be bad or this could be good. You know, he's probably going to do fine. I, he pitched uh, to the first batter, and that was – pretty great and so i ended up nodding off and saying oh he's gonna take care of business because it was the third it was the third out of that inning and it was quick it was adam eaton lefty on lefty and he just made him look silly yeah so i'm like oh i can go to bed this is all right you know it's three to one dodgers are gonna win this thing so i 
drift off to sleep. And then in the morning, I open up my phone and it says seven to three. And I was like, oh my goodness, what in the world? So craziness. So, so a lot of people, I want to talk about that Kershaw thing for a minute because I'm not going to lie. I was happy that the home runs came off Kershaw when I heard it because I just like Kershaw's the face. And so for me, that just like compounds it. Not that I like, I really like Kershaw. But just in that moment, it just felt like perfect that like this is the ultimate way that Dodger Nation crumbles is under their best player for the it, last decade, one of the best players in the league for the last decade. It feels like it always happens to him too, though. I mean, it's been when he comes in relief, it never goes well. It's it's <laughs> it been a few like. times. So, but then I went back and I watched it. I went back and I watched the at bats with Rendon and Soto. The pitch to Rendon was a really good pitch. It was like eight inches off the ground. Rendon is just such a good hitter that he was able to get his hands low and just knock it out. And you're like, well, that's a bummer. Like, that was a really good pitch. So I'm not even, like, Kershaw made a good pitch. That's not on him. The one he threw to Soto was just hanging there, and Soto clocked it 450 feet. So that's its own thing. That's and a, I did feel really bad. because <laughs> Kershaw's reaction as it happened to just, like, crumble on the mound, I was like, okay, now I feel bad. Because he doesn't deserve this. He's much better than to be remembered for this. Like, that's going to be the image. How much longer is on his contract? I don't I don't know. Because I, I was wondering how much longer he'd be playing. I'll look it up. We, we keep talking. Um, so I just felt, in that moment, I felt really, really bad for him. That the lasting image is going to be him crouching on the mound. And then him sitting in the dugout, just looking so despondent. And I was... He might be the best pitcher of our era. I... I don't disagree. Not I, postseason, but <laughs> yeah, overall. But you know, um, in the era at large, um, when you look at his numbers and yeah. But then people were so quick to jump on him and blame him. I had so many people. The like, because the Joker movie came out, there was that meme picture that was Joker that uh, was Kershaw's face with all the Joker makeup on it. I was that like, was a very well done. Like movie, okay, so Kershaw is not the type of pitcher that's going to come in in this relief situation and lock it down like Max Scherzer is there are a couple guys that you can bring them out Madison Bumgarner was back in the day like those guys can come out and make that happen and so maybe Kershaw isn't that person and so maybe Dave Roberts should have known that like all this stuff but they're blaming all of this on Kershaw and then you look at some of their other best players in the series they had and I like posted this on a couple social media things. Cody Bellinger for the series was four for 19 with one extra base hit, seven strikeouts and zero RBIs. You're the possible MVP of the league and you have zero RBIs in a postseason series, like five games. That's not allowed. Corey Seager, three for 20, one extra base hit, eight strikeouts, zero RBIs. Jock Peterson, one RBI. AJ Pollock, Will Smith, and Chris Taylor, all utility guys that get a lot of playing time, combined to go two for 34 with 20 strikeouts and zero RBIs. That's insane. Like, their hitting was so bad. Kershaw only can control what, you know, when he's in the game, which, I mean, he ended up giving up him and, um, I don't remember the other. Maeda? No, not Maeda. Maeda had a good series. Maybe it was Ryu. Kershaw Ryu gave up most of the runs in the series, which is crazy to think about. But your hitters, like, they got to do something. Especially with a team who is, like, one of the best offenses in baseball. And they just were like, hey, let's just not show up this week, apparently. Yeah. So that's my – that's our quick rant about that. Um, 
fun facts from the as as the Nats uh, continue to go forward, we can see they still have pitching. Oh, <laughs> oh my I'm, goodness! So they so are uh, they are off the hook right now. This is one of my favorite stats of all time that I'm going to get to after the setup. So the Braves had their game five against the Cardinals. Or sorry, the Cardinals had their game five against the Braves in Atlanta. The first inning of that game five game, the elimination game, when winner moves on. Cardinals score 10 runs in the top of the first inning. That had never happened before in the history of baseball, to score 10 runs in the first inning of a postseason game. They had nine players in a row reach base and score, I think. Um, that's insane. They scored, So they scored 10 runs in the first inning, two runs in the second inning, and one run in the third inning. After that run in the third inning, they didn't score the rest of that game, so that was six innings. They didn't score the entire game one against the Nationals, and then they didn't score... In game two until the eighth inning, I believe. So they went six and nine and eight. So they went 23 innings without scoring a run. Now, whether that's on Cardinals hitting, which is like they got good hitters. They had Marcelo Zuna in the Brave series had two, had at least two hits in, I think, all five games of that series. That's crazy. They got Paul Goldschmidt, who is normally an MVP candidate. They got other guys that produce really really well then the nationals come in and anibal sanchez pitches game one has a no hitter through seven and two-thirds innings which is crazy and then it's broken up because they bring a pinch hitter in the cardinals bring in jose martinez the pinch hit and as soon as he came in the box i was like he's gonna get a hit like that's just like the psychology of sports in that moment like if it's these other guys who've been coming up and getting out, coming up and getting out, like there's something about that mindset of like, ah, I'm going to get out right now. But Jose Martinez comes in like, all right, this is my fresh chance. Mind. Yeah. And, and he got a hit and I was right. But so seven to two thirds, no hit innings. And they win that game, whatever. The next game, Max Scherzer comes in. He has a no hitter through six innings, which is insane. So that, so having back-to-back games in the postseason where the pitcher has a no hitter through I think the stat ended up being five innings because of what it alluded to. But having back-to-back pitchers have no hitters through that far into a game, that was the second time it had ever happened. So this is the stat I was talking about. The first time that it ever happened, did you hear this at all? The first time that that had ever happened was Anibal Sanchez and Max Scherzer pitching for the Tigers in 2013. Oh, wow. That's insane. That is insane that this has only happened twice ever. And it was the same two guys in the same order. It was wow. crazy in the league championship series that was in a different league last time. That's my favorite thing that's happened in the last week, sports-wise, like statistically, because that just is insane. This and is then, the first time that like the Braves have been relevant to me since Chipper Jones retired. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. I had, like seven years. I think he was inducted in the Hall yeah, of Fame. I mean, two I or haven't years ago. watched them since then, pretty much. Well, they're good again now. Like, I love Ronald Acuna. I love Ozzy Albies. I love Freddie Freeman. Like, those guys can play. They're exciting. Dansby Swanson. So. I wish my name flowed well as well as Freddie Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> you have the power to change your name. You can be Mike Mathis. No, I can't. I mean, you could. Or you can be not Jake from State Farm. <laughs> gotta, Shout out to Jake's Twitter. You got to brand yourself. Speaking of our Twitter, huh? You going to do a little plug right now? So you can follow us at... From Bob's office. There you go. <laughs> I guess Mike just took care of that. We did it. I think we did it early in the first episode, and then I did it at the end of the second episode. But yeah, we can do the rundown real quick. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at From Bob's Office. Um, hit us up there. Send us some messages. Send us the questions. I thought you were going to spell it. F R O M B O B S O F F I C E. 
Are you impressed that I did that fast? We should make it a jingle. I am. I'll play, reco- <laughs> I'll play a recorder. I, w- I want to see Jake spell it. Uh, F-R-O-M-B-O-B-S-O-F-F-I-C-E. Nailed it. Nice. Way to go. I had to, to step up the word to Bob, the <laughs> Out of the three words. <laughs> that was from, hey, you know what? You did it, and we're just going to be proud and move on. Nice. But so, you guys have new new venues, too, for where your podcast is being broadcast? That's true. We are now, as of since the second episode, because we weren't at the time. So here's the thing. We recorded last Tuesday, and so I tried to figure out how to get us up on things, because just, I just posted those two to YouTube early on. And I was like, okay, I don't want people to just have to stick to YouTube because that's complicated and not as accessible on your phone. So I wanted to get us onto um, SoundCloud and okay, guess that. <laughs> I wanted to get us onto <laughs> SoundCloud because that hosts podcasts, and then I wanted us to um, be able to go from there. And as Jake gets up to turn off the air conditioning or turn it down or whatever. No, he did turn it off. That's fine. We're going to be roasting really quick. (laughs) Jake's going to take a lot of trips back and forth to fix that. So anyway, so SoundCloud hosts the podcast. So I was like, okay, I can do that pretty easy. So I was able to upload and share that, and that wasn't a problem. But not a lot of people still do SoundCloud, or at least it's not as accessible. So I want to get on Spotify and iTunes. So I am all over the Internet figuring out how to do this. I go through all this process, get this RSS feed, submit it to them, whatever, and there's problems. And I go, what? And I spent, kid you not, till 1.30 in the morning one night trying to figure this out, asking on SoundCloud stuff, asking the internet, nothing. I was like, cool, this is cool, this is upsetting. And finally, I don't even remember, I think I did end up typing something random into the internet about it. And they were like, oh, well, if you just click this box on SoundCloud, it's fine. It's like, what? One dumb box. I was so not happy that... <laughs> I had hours of just annoyance because all I had to do was click one box that that instruction was not given anywhere, but it finally worked. Oh, no, what happened is I sent an inquiry into SoundCloud, and they responded a day later, and they were like, oh, did you do this? I was like, no, I didn't. Thanks. You fixed it. Good job. So thanks, SoundCloud, for eventually getting back to me. That's the word? Yeah, it is inquiry. Is that the word of the day? College word of the day. It's definitely new to me. Can you spell that? I-N-Q-U-R-E-E. That's it. You, Good try. You, you took it a direction. In quarry. Like I spelled the word in quarry. You're not like in a quarry. Like That's not even thing. how you spell that kind of quarry. Oh, so it's E-N. No. There is an E-N, but it's old school English, yeah. Really? For yeah. the word inquiry? Yeah. An inquiry. Yeah. Seriously. I didn't know. Old, old school English, yeah. You could spell E-N or I-N, but anyway. Right. Oh. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y for those that care. Got it. Yep. Jake Jake mouthed it and everything, so we're good. Um, So anyway, Spotify was like, hey, you're up. I said, heck yeah. So now we're on Spotify, still from Bob's office. So find it, click the follow, get us on there. We got like 14 people following us right now, so that's pretty dope. And yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And hopefully iTunes soon. I check the podcast app daily, twice a day. Still nothing. I type in from Bob's office, and then all these weird things pop up, and I'm like, well, none of those are us, so hopefully that changes soon. But we will alert you to when that happens. Stay posted. But for now, follow us on Spotify. It's really easy to do. Um, yeah. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for pointing us in that direction right now, Mike. You're um, welcome. New direction, football. So Jake's going to talk about his um, Packers. Uh, you know, it was a hard and drooling game that we should not have won drooling 
I don't you know. were drooling while you were watching it, or what? I what mean, did I that was mean? foaming at the mouth at one point. Uh, okay, mad. that's good save. <laughs> we uh, did not play great. Were you um, around people while you were watching this game? Uh, my mom for about half of it, and then I went in my room and watched the rest of my phone. Did you feel shame sitting in your room watching the NFL just give the Packers another win? No. <laughs> uh, you know, Defend I, yourself, please. So there's a lot of calls that go missed. There's a lot of calls that go... Just, they're called badly, but that happens in every single game. You can't just put them all on one. Um, a lot of people are talking about the two face mask call or hands to the face calls, where there is one where there's no. an angle that shows his thumb underneath the face mask from like a point that like if you're right grabbing after, his collarbone, your thumb has to be there, and he's not. I'm trying it's not to like continue my him. sentence. <laughs> he had his hand up high. Early in the play, which wasn't shown, and that's when I was like, that's totally a call. It didn't move. It just looked that way because that's how his hand was grabbing and pushing up. There's two right. There's a right and there's a wrong, and neither one of us could uh, confirm or deny which one we are right or wrong. Oh, my. Because, and then, you know, there's a lot of calls that don't go our, well, our way as well. Name the, one. The t- the, their, ru- their one rushing touchdown. Was definitely a touchdown. From the overhead Every camera, you could look down. That's the not the point. You have cameras looking show. There was no official review. There was nothing. So we were just like, fine, I guess the Lions get that one. That's how obvious it was. They reviewed it, and it was a touchdown because you review every scoring play. They did not review it. They, they were like, let's just get They it review every scoring play, and they go, let's no, he was definitely in. We don't even they, need to part take the, up time to do this. They're part of the this. Patriots uh, – so anyway, it's just another another check mark in the history of the Detroit Lions having something go ter- ter- terribly wrong for them because there were the there were the two hands to the face penalties that yeah. took away a sack and made it first down and took away a third down incompletion that both of them would have led to field goals early on in the clock that would have given Detroit the ball back again to do something else with. Um, oh, NFL admits. And our uh, admits uh, mistake, but you know, Bre- breaking news. <laughs> yeah. Breaking you know, news. You know. They finally admitted it. They're not oh, going to yeah. break uh, the but score. But the Lions had chances. They did. They, yeah, they were they saying. were in the red zone like four times, and Matt Prater kicked five field goals. So yeah. So I mean, they. Could've... I'm not going to sit here and say like everyone was talking about the Rams and Saints last year that this one call meant that the Lions would have won the game. Obviously not. They but, had opportunities that they could have scored seven, and they instead scored three or right. didn't score at all. So from that extent, I'm not going to – but it was so one-sided on the penalty calls that that was – there was the play earlier that the Lions DB got called for a helmet-to-helmet hit. When he got to the spot first, the receiver lowered his head into the Lion defender's head, I didn't and see he one. got called – for that play, and I was, we were, me and my friend Nick were sitting there watching the game, and just like, how do you call that? And there was an egregious pass interference play in that game too. I do he not definitely hit him before the ball was anywhere near them. Every Again. single play, there's something like that though. Not to that extent. And also, that was there was obvious. a holding call in like the first two minutes of the game on David Bakhtiari, which literally. It I was agree not with that. Old. You're right. I so saw that. He touched him on the shoulder, and they're like, "That's I, a flag." I agree. That one was, that was clear very too. If, if the Lions could have tackled Jamal Williams, they they, they would have won the football game yeah, too. Jamal Williams, 14 rushes, 104 yards. That boy was a beast. Uh, yeah, which was really good because he just came back from what could have been literally a hit that could have 
so destroyed my, his life. My other great stat from yesterday was in the first quarter at one point, Matt Stafford was three for four for 132 yards. He did. What was his passer rating? A lot. <laughs> at that point. At that, well, it wouldn't have been perfect because he didn't have a touchdown. He finished but, with 18 for 32, 265. Those aren't Stafford-like numbers, man. Well, not yeah. The, the guy, like, he normally is like a 300 every time. But, like, their two of their first three pass plays I know. was a 66-yard pass and then a 58-yard yeah. yeah, pass. Yeah, those. The Packers secondary did not come out of the locker room. No, that was rough. <laughs> until yeah. the middle of the first quarter. Yeah. And then rough. they just started hitting people. Um, Before the ball got there. We also <laughs> we won this game with our JV wide receivers That's because also Devontae Adams is still out. Uh, MVS left the game early. Guillermo was not existent until the second half. Guillermo? Guillermo Allison. Jerome? Is that how you spell it? That's how you spell it? I don't <laughs> I, know. I don't think so. I'm told his name's Jerome Allison. Or no. Geronimo. Geronimo Allison. You know, we kind of... They're your team. We, I don't need to know your players. I call them by their last name when Guillermo. I'm on the field normally. <laughs> well, it was in between. Geronimo Allison. And it didn't it, matter what receivers they had. They had Jamal Williams run for 104 yards. That's true. That man was a beast. Yeah. Without which, him, I wish, they were, they I were wish stuck. it was Aaron Jones that did it because I had Aaron Jones. Yeah. How about team. that Aaron Jones dropping a wide open pass and fumbling on a soft hit? Yikes. Yeah. The the fumble really hurt my fantasy score. Oh, and actually the drop pass <laughs> the too. Dropped, yeah, that was he that been come in ten that points game. right there. That was but a huge. Like Devontae Adams said, we have a very good one-two punch. Devontae Adams tweeted today that we have one of the best one-two punches for running backs in the NFL. Yeah. And I'm like, that's nice to hear. I'll take that's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I mean, once Kareem Hunt, two more weeks till Kareem Hunt comes back. I'll, I'll take him. I yeah. mean, so alive, but right now. <laughs> The other, my favorite, so I was watching the game last night with my friends Nick and Robert, and Robert likes to just make dumb puns, and they're hilarious and cringeworthy and stuff. And so we're watching, and the Packers coach comes on. And what's the Packers coach's name? Uh, Matt LaFleur. His name's Matt LaFleur. And so Robert goes, LaFleur? What about LaRoof? <laughs> I was dumb. <laughs> It took me a second because in my head I'm thinking LaFleur, like, it okay, flower, it means flower or whatever. And then he said LaRoof, and I was like, that was very good. I don't, I generally look at Robert and just, like, shake my head and shrug, and that one I laughed pretty hard. So. Arguably the uh, biggest weapon for the Packers, J.K. Scott, punted three times with a 51.7 average. I like J.K. Scott. I think most Once we delve into punter stats, I think we're good. <laughs> Well, Mason Crosby also went well, three for three, you know. Yeah. But Prater was the kicker of the game. Come on. Yeah, that's, uh, let's let's not kid ourselves. But he didn't kick the f- winning field goal. We did. Anyway. The bad part for the NFL is that that game was a Monday night game. And their roughing uh, crew is in deep due. Speaking of roughing crews, this is going to take a minute because Twitter has to reopen again. You should just record it. Well, like you it was fine. It I know. Last time I did a good job. This time I messed it up again. Because I need to search for it. Yep. We'll just set up what you're going to play. So we get a lot of our content from the one and only Pat McAfee. And we can only hope that one day Pat McAfee will listen to our show and go, wow, they talk about me a lot. They should be on our podcast. And I would cry. I would <laughs> he would cry out of happiness because that would be amazing. Um, Pat McAfee posts a lot of content, so scrolling down to it is a lot. But... His his point is that the refereeing was really, really bad, and he went on a 
about a minute and a half rant about it on Get Up yesterday morning. So apparently we're going to get a lot, of, a lot of our content from Get Up because um, I don't watch that show either. But here is what Pat McAfee had to say. Back a few years to the replacement refs where there was a lot going on. Everybody was like, this can't be the norm. We have to get this fixed. This year, it feels like we just have a bunch of replacement refs. Somehow, it has gotten worse than it's ever been. And I, I like to you know, find the root of these things. Yeah. You know, I'm a deep digger, a person that likes to find out why things are happening. And for me, I think it all starts with Alberto Riveron being an incredibly terrible leader of men. That's what he is. His official crew underneath him has been nothing but terrible. And I would say as soon as TV networks like this one start plucking John Perry, incredible referee, yep. start plucking Gene Steratore to CBS, incredible referee, Dean Blandino, many wouldn't say incredible, but he's a lot better than what Alberto Riveron's doing. Herrera, you name it. These TV networks are just plucking all of the great refs, and we're stuck with crap. We're stuck with junk, and that's why every time a, a, a call goes to review, everybody knows Alberto Riveron's going to get it wrong, because Alberto Riveron wasn't a good ref on the field. Now they put him in charge, and boom, ipso facto, now we got a terrible guy leading this thing. I don't think it's going to get better before it gets even worse, and somehow it's ruining the game. I honestly believe oh. that. Yeah, remember a couple... I love that he used the phrase ipso facto. That just makes me happy. But he's very critical of the refereeing, and I think a lot of us have been critical of the refereeing, and they deserve it. Things have gone really, really poorly, and that's just, it's rough. It all started with the Saints-Rams game. I did not start there. I think it all started with either Des Bryant against the Packers or Kelvin Johnson being the subject of that rule change. Like, things well, just... learn to catch the ball, Des. He oh, caught it. Yeah, they went back and said, uh, no, that was a catch. Didn't they, change. Uh, well, obviously, it didn't change the outcome. But that's not how that works. Instant replay. It's pretty interesting. It's still rough. They, it's still terrible, actually. They for they did it for pass interference only, right? That was the change from this offseason. So, yeah. like, we can review pass interference, yeah. but isn't the stat, like, three out of 35 have been I, overturned? I think like it's that? more like seven out of, like, 50 now or something, but... It's a fairly low percentage. Because referees are not inclined to, like, referees have to be proven. If they're going to change their minds, if they're, like, they're a, they're a unit themselves, they look out for each other. And if somebody makes a call, they want as often as possible for that call to be the call. And they're not going to, they don't want to undermine each other the entire time. So it would have to really be crazy obvious and turn it the other way in their minds. And even then, it's still, that's not enough sometimes. It's just, it's kind of bad though when it's like an obvious pass interference call or an obvious non-pass interference call, and you get the flag and you try and like challenge it and you just lose a timeout for it because it's and you just pretty much wasted time because it's like, hey, like you made a bad call, but yet nothing's gonna change, and like I don't know why they implemented this rule if it's not gonna do anything. It is doing stuff. You try to change. We're talking about it right now. The NFL needed needed the media machine to uh, stay stay tuned. So so last two, we've already we've been going on this for a while. Last two quick observations: the Rams have decided to be terrible, and we've been playing bad all season. We just somehow miraculously pulled off three wins early. Could have miraculously pulled off a fourth, but Young Jeezy, Zerline, Legatron missed a kick and barely up to the right side. Um, Who did you so just try to name? Greg Zerline. He's got three nicknames. Young Jeezy, because his initials are Jeezy. Greg the Leg, because that's just rhyming and whatever. Okay, that one and I know. The Legatron. I Legatron. Know. You've never heard Legatron? No. Oh, man. Heck yeah. 
because you got Calvin Johnson as Megatron, and that's the best nickname ever. And then you got Legatron because he's obviously the best kicker in the game. So, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> he scores most of our points because we can't put the ball <laughs> that, in the end zone. That is true. Uh, with Gurley out, and I wasn't even when Gurley when it got announced that Gurley wasn't playing, I was like, you know what? I'm actually okay with this because Gurley is obviously not 100 percent, and all having him be in the game means is we have to figure out a way to like force it to him because then everyone's going to be like, what about Gurley? So we have to get him the ball, but he's not healthy, so getting him the ball messes us up. So without him, it was like, okay, we can just rely on Malcolm Brown the whole time. And the first drive was awesome. The first drive, we had seven run plays, gained 56 yards, and scored a touchdown. And then we proceeded to gain 51 yards the rest of the game. Mm. What? How? What? That's so bad. That's Goff a line was, problem. Goff was 13 of 24 for 78 yards. How do you attempt 24 passes and only gain 78 yards? It's. I mean, you gotta also like give compliments to the nope. 49ers not, for nope. being nope. incredibly good. Actually, I, they're fine. They're number two in the power rankings now. Like, good for them. They're. Undefeated. I mean, they deserve it. I, they at this point they've beaten everybody that's been placed in front of them. I don't know what their upcoming schedule looks like. I don't. I don't know what else is going on, but right now they look good. They whooped on the Browns, and we barely beat the Browns. But, uh, I mean, the Browns are the Browns. Hey, now. <laughs> They're already picking on me. Um, yeah. I have one more that I wanted to bring up that I forgot until just now. Um, what are your opinions on this statement? Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota were bust. Were? Or they are bust. Because they aren't – their upside is not what we expected necessarily. As to being taken one and – were they taken one and two or something close to that? Um, Mariota was the second oh, – were they in that same draft? Yeah, they were yeah. – it was so them it was two. Winston won, Mariota two. Um, Winston's terrible. Mariota so bad. isn't much but better like, though. He threw for 500 yards and five interceptions, right? On or something like that. I saw he threw he threw one touchdown, like 500 yards for a while. And the fantasy ticker, he was the number one guy because he threw so many yards, but he still threw like five picks. Winston was? Yeah. Yeah. I. Anyway. Well, yeah, because the start of the game, he was god-awful. Um, and they had to just throw. So England was treated to some high-quality play there. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey. I, I don't know. Mariota's had like his... First year in the league, 19 touchdowns, 10 picks. Second year in the league, 26 touchdowns, 9 picks. Like, okay, that's a, that's a good start. They weren't full seasons. The second year was. He's gotten hurt no. almost every season, though. Almost every, He played 12 games his first year, 15, 15, 14. That's not 16. <laughs> okay. You're right. But I don't, lately yeah. his performance has not been great. Tennessee, it looked like Tennessee was going to be a team on the rise doing better things. And they've been a middling to average team. And, I mean, when you have to go up against Houston and Jacksonville, the defenses they had the last couple of years, that's rough. you got to go against them four times. You're not going to get a lot out of that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I wasn't huge on either one of them when they came out of college. I was definitely not on the Winston bandwagon. I, I never <laughs> thought he was good. And I am inclined to just not like Oregon players. <laughs> Because I'm a USC fan. So I didn't have high hopes for Mariota, and here we are. Well, we see how Chip Kelly and his system have turned out. <laughs> Maybe Mariota is a 
victim of the same thing. Yeah, I don't. Is he still the head coach for UCLA? Still. <laughs> At this point. We'll see how long Not that lasts. much longer. Um, yeah. They paid him a lot of money, so that's a pretty interesting thing. Although UCLA football is irrelevant. So next thing on the, on the agenda, <laughs> please. Uh, breaking news. Marquise Peters traded to the Ravens. Marcus Peters. So, to the who? Um, I meant to say Ravens. Okay, did I didn't. Say, I did I say don't know. I, I don't know Ravens. what you said. I meant to say Ravens. So here's the thing about that. Marcus Peters is a terrible man-to-man DB. He Perfect. can't guard anybody on his own worth anything. You put him in zone coverage, and he intercepts so many things. Intercepted one of Garoppolo's passes this weekend. Garoppolo threw up some, I don't know why he threw it up, into the end zone, and Peters was there and intercepted it. And Peters does that a lot, but he's terrible man-to-man. So I'm not super bummed one way or the other. We probably got like a fourth-round draft pick or something. I'm trying to find it. I have not seen anything. So, you know, whatever. The thing that hurts us is Aqib Tlaib just went on that injured reserve for eight weeks. So now we don't have Peters. Now we don't have Tlaib. And we don't have LaMarcus Joyner, and we so our defense, which used to be the thing that held it together. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Donald had two more sacks yesterday, but he's like the only person that does anything. But your secondary is just gone. There's like what? Josh Jacobs is the only one. <laughs> he's the running back for Oakland. Who's your Josh Johnson? Uh, John Johnson. You know it's it's John Johnson, which is like JJ has confused me apparently. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, you know, Josh Jacobs out of, out of Alabama, so real tight on that. But Got him on fantasy. Pretty great. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on because we got Mike here and we want to talk to Mike, and okay. we just took up 40 minutes of craziness. So Mike is not originally from Ohio, yes? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, yeah. so you've had to suffer through a, a lot of sports things. What... <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's enough out of you. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm actually, because I grew up watching the Lakers win. The Angels won the World Series when I was in high school. The Ducks won the Stanley Cup and went to another one. Like, I've seen those things play out. So I, like, know how that feels. The Rams won a Super Bowl, been to two others. Like, so I've been able to watch my teams. They haven't been great all the time, but I've seen them be great. And so, like... The Indians haven't won the World Series since 1954. Yes. <laughs> the Browns have never been to the Super Bowl, though they did Actually, win. Actually, they lost in 54. They won last in 48, I think. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Willie Mays made the Willie catch Mays in 54. You're right. That's why that year is in my head. Willie Jake gave Mays me a funny look. is the, not the guy from OxyClean? <laughs> that's that's, that's Billy, Billy Mays. Mays. Okay, Any relations? <laughs> no. Okay. Same color. No. Okay. Well, that also explains a lot. All right. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, the Browns. So, that was well before my time, just true. being clear. But that's <laughs> like the, yeah. that's the yeah. history you but, have with them. But, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. What's that like? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what is it what? like to, to like, there's been talent. There have yeah. been flashes along sure. between yeah. the Indians and the Cavaliers, I mean, you've seen and the Cavaliers win, yeah. and the Browns. Like, yeah. they've so, had talented people. Yeah, in the entirety of my life, <laughs> until LeBron helped us win with the Cavs in 16, 2016, I had never seen any of my professional sports teams win a championship. So that was pretty pretty rough life. So I grew up in Northeast Ohio, about less than an hour from Cleveland. Um, so one of the 
you know, kind of memory markers for me in 1986, Sports Illustrated, the Your curse. Born. The curse happens. Uh, it does really happen. This happened to the Lakers with, you know, Steve Nash and Dwight Howard yep. and, and Kobe on the cover. But um, Corey Snyder and Joe Carter, who are two of the best young outfielders in baseball, uh, were on the cover, and they were predicting that the Indians would win 100 games. I didn't games. realize Joe Carter was on the Indians first. He was. That's where he cut his teeth, and then he went on to have bigger and better things happen where he could win championships. Is over cutting the, his teeth a phrase? Or? It is. Okay, I haven't heard When that you're one. young and uh, yeah, the, your teeth break out of your gums, yeah, they call that cutting your teeth. It's I didn't realize it's that's why it was called cutting your teeth. So learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, anyway, Joe Carter, yeah, Joe Carter and Corey Snyder on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were predicting uh, the Indians to win a division and uh, win 100 games, and uh, they proceeded to to, to lose 102 that Ooh, year. That year, man, oh, boy. So uh, yeah, so that was uh, we looked pretty good the year before, but uh, in 1986, not so good. So yeah, I rooted for. Uh, I remember as a young boy, actually, my uh, favorite Cleveland Indian was a. Uh, a guy by the name of Andre Thornton. The guy hit a lot of home runs, but there was no one else around him. Toby Hare played third base, and so no one knows any of that. But Mike Hargrove is a guy that hey. people know. Yep. Uh, Mike Hargrove played uh, first base for us for a while and that sort of thing. So, But he got famous because of what he did later in life. We did have this guy named Joe Charbonneau, who was uh, Rookie of the Year and I think it was 81. And he had an unbelievable year, and he was the ultimate one-hit wonder. Charbonneau <laughs> is... Because of one year? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah, it was a bummer. So anyway, go Joe Charbonneau. That was <laughs> a big. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we also played in this uh, amazingly huge stadium called Cleveland Stadium. That seat like uh, eighty-five thousand people for Browns games and about eighty-five thousand, but there was only like eighty-five hundred for Cleveland Indians games. <laughs> and they so, both played in the same stadium. Yes, they played in the same stadium, like How Candlestick long? Park. Yeah, so it's it was like the same sort. AT&T is AT&T now. I don't remember what it is. It was Candlestick Park back in the well, day. Well, yeah. I, that's <laughs> what AT&T's the Cowboys stadium. But, but in the Giants one in was the also Giants called AT&T Oh, that's Park. right. Yep. But anyway. So, yeah. So, the Browns, the Browns and the Indians played in the same stadium. For how long? Um, like forever, I think. Probably like the first 40, that. 50 years. Hmm. So, yeah, well, that stadium was huge. So, I got the chance to go to the – when I was in college, the Indians closed that stadium and built Jacobs Field, which now I forget what the name of it is. But it's always Jacobs Field. Yeah, Progressive Field. It's always Jacobs Field to me, yeah, the, new, the uh, new stadium. I call it that. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> ah. but uh, got to sit really uh, – my back was against the outfield scoreboard, and I could hardly see home play it was so far away <laughs> so i went to the last three games in cleveland municipal stadium so anyway oh, wow. but fun stuff so anyway the indians were always uh, not good until the 90s and then we had some really good teams that, i really liked those teams oh carlos Baerga and yeah anyway so David and then justice albert bell yeah albert bell i got to see Ro- albert Ro- bell Ro- play. roberto and sandy alomar yeah i got to see albert bell played uh, minor league baseball because i grew up uh, oh, doing it yeah it was pretty fun anyway so yeah, young, young but, Manny Ramirez. But rooting uh, for the Indians has always been hard, and uh, then they were and a, a rain delay away from winning the championship against the Chi Town Cubs. So as a bummer, if Aroldis Chapman would have kept pitching, we would have hit him because he was <laughs> in a world of hurt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just was with some Cle- some Chicago my fans. My first World Series watching memory is the 1997 World Series against the Marlins with. Ouch. With Edgar Renteria hitting the the series-winning hit. 
Uh-huh. Like that, I was sitting in my best friend's at the time house watching that and just going nuts. I didn't care about the Marlins. I didn't care about the Indians. But just watching, like, the excitement of that was, like, the first baseball moment for wow. me that I, like, took in as, yeah. as an 11-year-old. Yeah. I was five months old. Okay. I actually had an experience like that with the Dodgers, who you guys hate, but I got to see an 84 Oral Hersheiser pitch, and, and Kirk Gibson hit the home run. My mom let me stay up late and watch that game. And uh, that was pretty amazing. I hated Kirk Gibson because he played for the Tigers for yeah. so long. And so the Tigers were humongous Indians nemesis. We could never get by them. But they had a great teams with Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell and amazing stuff. Anyway, <laughs> you're like, who are those people? <laughs> no, I, I know who I know Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. Okay, um, yeah. Maybe the best. Just because I spent my life yeah. listening to yeah. stuff. So yeah. they always come up when yeah. Tigers games are on. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that was that was just the Indians. So then you could move over to the Browns, who uh, I've rooted for my entire life. And, uh, you know, 1980, we had a great team, Brian Sipe and crew, and they got upset by the L.A. Raiders. Um, maybe they were Oakland Raiders. I can't remember if they were in L.A. or not. But not this was the first wild card team to actually win out and win the Super Bowl, and they knocked off my Raiders. Well, the Ra- and the, the Raiders Ra- yeah, the Raiders won the Super Bowl that year. Um, but we have a nickname for that. It's called Red Ride 88. So there was supposed to be a, a route. That was the name of the route that the guy was supposed to run in the end zone. He didn't run it. Uh, Brian Sipe threw the ball. It was picked off by the Raiders in the end zone. Or we could have won that game. If we'd have caught it, we'd have won the game. Man. And that was in 1980. And so I was seven years old. Then it continued with the drive, the, drive, the, the fumble, fumble, and then the move. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, 1995. What? We had yes, the move. <laughs> so... What was that like? Because uh, that was before, you know, that was before we existed. But uh, yeah, I don't think but like, that's enough out of you. All of the, the old cracks. <laughs> all of the, to just, he just, Irsay, right? No, Art Modell. No, Modell. Yeah, sorry. Modell to just, it was like in the middle of the night. Yes. And they just moved. They just yeah. left. Yeah. And did like, yes. what was that experience? I uh, was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty uh, yeah, it was terrible. I was actually, uh, so 90, 1995, we had Bill Belichick as our coach. We went 11-5 and five in the playoffs, you know, got in the playoffs and uh, had a tough time. But um, it was, uh, we had a tough time in the playoffs. But then 96, uh, Art Modell kind of in the middle of the season actually picks up the team and moves them to Baltimore because um, the Colts had moved, speaking of Versailles, the Colts yeah. had moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis. That's what I was thinking. And so, uh, yeah, Art Modell just picks up the team, fires Bill Belichick. He, you know, is a terrible coach anyway. So, um, <laughs> so they moved the team, and I, I honestly, I was so hurt. I quit watching football, professional football, uh, even the Super Bowl for about uh, four years. Uh, they, you know, developed an expansion team and whatever in ninety nine. Tim Couch, yeah. So. Um, Courtney Brown. Yeah. So, so check this out, though. Belichick, he went 11 and five with Vinny Testaverde as a quarterback. That tells you something, right? <laughs> Vinny Testaverde. Okay, yeah, he won a Heisman. He had his moments. But yeah, we, uh, we can list Heisman winners and yeah. talk about how bad a lot of them are. Yeah. But Tim uh, Yeah, he he and the Buccaneers and never won a game. And he took. The, I just looked at the roster again. There was no one on that roster, and Belichick got him to 11 and five. Anyway, so. Craziness. I'm not bitter about that. So I, also, I so seriously, that's a thing. go ahead. I just learned the move was a thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about that until literally Google. So I was thinking of the Baltimore one, like because that rocked the city of Baltimore right. when the Colts left. Yeah. 
And that's what I was thinking of. I yeah. do remember so the, the Browns to Ravens. So the Browns so. moved to Baltimore, and then they end up in the same division, right? Yeah. And then Ray Lewis and friends win a freaking and – the, and their kicker – was a guy by the name of Matt Stover, who was the only remaining oh, yeah. original Cleveland right. Brown uh, on that team. Remember. And then they uh, ended up winning a second one. And, right, they won two in the in the beat, early 2000s. They beat San Francisco, right? Yeah. When did Cleveland so. move back to Cleveland? They didn't. So, so they moved. They never moved. They reestablished a franchise. They, they started a it new franchise a in Cleveland uh, four years later. But it took me a while to start watching. I went to college, and so there, and, you know, I was out of state and whatever. But at the same time, I was not watching NFL football for a while because that that one really smarted. So fortunately, I did have a pretty decent college team. So growing up in Ohio, you have to be an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So sure. I've had some, I've had a lot of uh, fun times over the years with the Ohio State Buckeyes. So that's kind of been their only saving grace. What are like one or two of your favorite Ohio State memories? Uh, Troy Smith coming out of the tunnel and uh, doing the bull uh, sweep of his feet before the Michigan game and then going out and destroying Michigan mm -hmm. and then winning the Heisman Trophy. So um, the bull game didn't turn out so well. But Troy Smith winning the Heisman uh, was pretty fun. Uh, and uh, Jim Trestle uh, winning the championship against uh, Miami University, that was that was pretty amazing. That's one of the best football games I've ever Double watched. overtime. You know, Maurice Claret. Yeah, Maurice Claret going ripping the ball right that's, out of the that's my, that's one of my That's yeah. one of my favorite college play ever. Yeah, un unbelievable. Uh, yeah. But, you know, pass interference was a the thing then. <laughs> <laughs> all the Miami, all the University of Miami people would say, oh, that wasn't interference. It was clearly interference. But, uh, yeah, and you, I mean, if you give the the defense an unfair advantage, you got to throw the flag because, yeah. you know, anyway. But cool two-way player in that game, uh, Gamble. Yeah. Um, ended up, well, played both sides of the ball. Uh, that doesn't happen very much anymore. But, but then he played DB in the NFL, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was... For Carolina, I think? Yep. Yeah. So, and you're, then you're more impressed, recently... You're impressed I knew that? I am. <laughs> yeah. More uh, more recently, Urban Meyer has done a pretty good job with the with the Buckeyes and uh, put them back on the map. He he went undefeated in his first season when they, when they had sanctions. He's phenomenal. And uh, so he... Not there anymore? He's not he anymore. is not there. His uh, protege, Ryan Day, is in the house, and Ryan's undefeated as well. Because <laughs> so they're had, number three or they're four? They're number right three now? in the country right now. Yeah. So Ryan Day uh, won three games while Urban Meyer was uh, suspended last year and then has won every game this year. So, um, yeah, they locked and loaded, man. They look really, really good. I have not seen a game yet this year, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, they've been anybody. on prime time like three times, so <laughs> quit watching baseball. <laughs> nope. Playoffs, playoffs take precedence. Although I did watch the Florida LSU game and the USC Notre Dame game, but yeah, I get it. You know, those are big games, but yeah. they'll be on Friday night actually this week against Northwestern, Ohio State Northwestern, uh, Northwestern. They, this is a repeat of last year's Big Ten championship game. Yeah, Northwestern so, had its like best season ever last year. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, Rose. Uh, no, yeah, they played Washington in a Rose yeah. Bowl, so won that. Got to go to that game earlier this year. So it is nice yeah. to be in California and be a Buckeyes yeah. fan. I got close to the, <laughs> got to be close to the Rose Bowl. My wife and I said, uh, let's take the let's take the plunge on these tickets and go. So it was fun. And I haven't even got to the Cavaliers. I know that's because there have been some really cool. <laughs> I mean, they've had they've had moments and then just like 
had it cut off. Because <laughs> I've heard you talk about this shot in the past. Yes. And yeah. So, so that was my, that you know, uh, I know you guys in podcast one talked about your favorite all-time players and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So uh, my favorite all-time player would be Mark Price, uh, a point guard for the Cavaliers in the 90s who was epic. Um, you know, even today, most people would say, Steve Kerr would tell you that he's the best pick and roll point guard ever. Um, so he kind of was the advent of splitting the double team. So, uh, before that people could split it, but Mark Price found out how to split almost every double team. It was really ridiculous and he could pull up and shoot the three. In fact, up till about last year, his numbers because of Steph Curry's, uh, you know, mass shooting of threes, um, you know, Mark Price is one of the only 90, what is it? 90, 60, 60 guys, 90, 50, 40, 90, 50, 40 guys. Um, and, uh, so one of those guys, that's 90% from the free throw line, 50% from the field and 40% from the three point line. Mark Price is still the highest. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Price is still the highest rated, uh, free throw, uh, person on the, on the averages, yeah. So I think he finished at ninety three percent or something like that. So you're gonna fact check me I now? Am. No, but I I believe that to be true. I want to see yeah. the actual percentages because yeah. I think it's higher than ninety three. Yeah, it could be. I don't know, but yeah, the guy could shoot the ball, and he could. Uh, oh, it's ninety point four. Ninety point four. Yeah. He's third all time now. Third Steve all-time. Nash and I don't know. Who Nash and but. Curry, maybe? No. Yeah, Curry's yeah. ninety ninety point four seven. Nash is 90.43. Price is 90.39. Yeah. The only three players ever above 90%. Yeah, so obviously he's a shooter. Uh, he did get injured, and uh, we had some tough times with uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, uh, yeah, he stopped a lot of our, our really good teams. We had some good teams. I mean, Craig Elo was, uh, you know, Ron Harper, uh, Brad Doherty. I didn't realize Ron Harper John, was on. John Hotrod Williams, yeah. So we had some... Uh, some pretty good talent in those in those years, but we ran into the Detroit Pistons, who were the bad boys, and they uh, continued to give concussions to our players. And then I ran into Michael Jordan. Tough times in those. those that was my, my era of watching basketball. Steve That's Kerr was actually on those teams. Um, Steve Kerr came to my high school, a uh, little high school in a town of 700 people, Ritman, Ohio. Uh, I actually had broken my leg playing basketball, and he signed. Uh, uh, he asked, "Do you want me to sign your cast?" And I was like, "No, no, sign a piece of paper. It lasts yes. longer." <laughs> uh, but I've lost a piece of paper. Uh-huh. But uh, Steve Kerr, he he drained about a hundred straight three point shots in our gym while he was talking to us, and so he was always a shooter, playing defense, not so much. But <laughs> yeah. but it hasn't surprised me that Mr. Kerr has uh, turned into a great basketball coach either. So yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. He's incredible. Yeah. For the record, Mike is one of my favorite people to play basketball with and or against. Oh, well. You just that because I don't. I I've played basketball with like three people from the Midwest, and you guys all play very similarly. <laughs> There's just like a tenacity and a knowledge and a like seeing things open up before they're there that like I try to do. I'm not nearly as tenacious i'm double up the word again but in terms of like making people be somewhere or throwing a pass that like should be the person needs to be ready for like i love that and i can just sit and watch and mike does that really really well and so i love playing ball with mike it's pretty fun i like playing ball with you too i don't get to play with any six seven guys so i did play with a six seven guy in college one time his name was rick fox so yeah he dunked over me. <laughs> I, I. So, yeah, Rick Fox, actually, interesting story. He was uh, recruited by my college coach. I played at Grace College. And uh, Jim Kessler, who was a coach there for 40 years, just retired a year ago. 
found uh, Rick Fox in the Bahamas uh, playing basketball, and they recruited him to come to Warsaw, Indiana. The goal was that he would eventually play at Grace College, but yeah. he got a little big for his britches and went on to UNC. So he played at North Carolina, but he did play at uh, high school there in town, Warsaw. Uh, Tigers took those guys really deep, and Indiana basketball is pretty significant. And so, uh, yeah, Rick Fox uh, kind of took that team deep into the into the state championship play. I don't Same. know if he ended up, um, but anyway, Rick would come back and play basketball in the summer awesome. uh, at, at Warsaw and in in Winona Lake and at Grace. And so, uh, one time he was playing, he was funny because you know he'd pull up. This was the pre-Steph Curry era, but he was yeah. still pulling up in that kind of range uh, just to be a smart aleck. And then <laughs> uh, when he decided to go to the hoop, he could pretty much get there. So, And I, he did it right over top of me. So that's my, my claim to fame. So, I, Rick, if you're out there listening, I know this is your city. You're here in L.A. and whatever. So, uh, yeah, my, sorry, sorry that I didn't really put up a fight. My memories of Rick Fox are just him posting up at the elbow and just banking shots in. That's yep. just that was his move when he was a Laker, just yep. stand at the elbow, bank shots in over and over and over. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, he was undersized to actually pull that off, but you know, it was the Carl Malone uh, era. Yeah, no, <laughs> when guys it. would did that. Yeah, I loved it. Well, thanks for going down memory lane with me. Hey, man. that's Dan. That's so, yeah. I love that. So the Cavs did win a championship. So I do have a national championship for my professional team so uh, in probably the greatest comeback in the history of sports the best team in regular season basketball um, get swept in three games so how how did you feel when LeBron left which time (laughs) the first time (laughs) the decision what were you thinking when you watched the decision because I hated every moment of it I've never been a LeBron fan for various other reasons but so, like, as I was watching the decision, I was like, what are you doing? This is so ridiculous. Get out of here. But, like, as somebody who yeah. – that was your team. Yeah. Well, I grew up I grew up uh, 15 minutes from where, you know, LeBron grew up. We played against – my high school played against St. Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary before they were a LeBron yeah. team. And so they were, they were actually really poor. They were, a, you know, little white boys Catholic school until um, they started recruiting some athletes and – I don't know how they do all that, but you know, right. uh, high school sports has changed a lot. But yep. anyway, um, so yeah, I had grown up, you know, knowing about LeBron and all that kind of stuff. So, in, so I in 2008, I actually moved here to California from Columbus, Ohio, um, and so that was he was doing his TV special, and so I walked into the living room and was like, oh yeah, I think LeBron's thing is on right now. So I turned on the TV, literally. Um, as he's making his statement, I am going to take my talents. And I was like, I know he's not going to go to Cleveland. I know he's not going to stay there, but where in the world, you know, I'm going to take my talents to South beach. <clears throat> and everyone's like, Oh, ah, ah. and I was like, Oh man. And I turned the TV off. I literally was only on <laughs> for like, <laughs> yeah, for like 25 <laughs> seconds, maybe. And I was like, Oh man, that's such a killer. I get it though. I moved to the warm letter. Like, who wants to be in Cleveland <laughs> in the winter? Not like, me. when your when your sport is the winter sport and you got to live in Cleveland, I'm like, I moved to the warm weather. I totally yeah. get it. So that was my first sympathetic response. My heart was, you know, ripped out because you know. But we didn't put a team on. Uh, I mean, LeBron carried those teams to the yeah. finals with uh, Eric Snow. That's Eric Snow played in Cameron. I know. Yeah, he played in. He was a Michigan State kid, but he grew oh, up yeah. in Canton, Akron. Played, I saw him play in high school. So wow. yeah, but 
Um, yeah, that, those teams were not uber good uh, as far as Todd the, McCulloch. The, the talent, the no, talent they put the talent they put around LeBron. Yeah, but um, yeah, the guy is a winner. Yeah, he went down to Miami and not one, but two, <laughs> not three or four. Yeah. <laughs> That got a little excessive. <laughs> that got a little bit excessive. But LeBron changed the game in that moment. So when he comes back and he wins. I cried almost. I don't know if I cried. When he came back or when the win happened? Uh, when he came back. Okay. It was like, there's like, I'm, so I'm from Northeast Ohio. Like, I, I know uh, my dad uh, worked in a factory all his life, you know, Morton Salt. Um Lots of factories. The other factory in my town was the Packaging Corporation of America. They used to make uh, all of the cereal boxes for all of the General Mills uh, cereals. So um, that uh, plant closed down and moved out of town. So half of our town, uh, half of the employment of our town was kind of shot overnight like that when they closed that stuff down. And that's not an unfamiliar story in Northeast Ohio where, you know, it's really working class and all that sort of stuff. LeBron grew up in the hood in Akron. And so that wasn't a world that I knew about, but all of us who rooted for, you know, Northeast Ohio sports all had a different kind of poor poverty background or whatever, just cause we, we lived there. And so for him to say, Hey, I want to come home. And that was, you know, speaking of sports illustrated covers, I mean, that was the cover, um, you know, when he wrote the letter and all that sort of stuff, you know, it meant a lot to me, you know, and challenged me like, do would I ever move home? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it was really cool to see him kind of see something bigger than basketball in that region and what he's proven to do with the I Promise schools and those yeah. sorts of things is really um, something that, you know, I, I really appreciate about LeBron. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really special moment. And, you know, when you get the king, you kind of get a chance, you know, and he proved that. Um, everywhere that he's ever been, yep. you get a chance to compete for championships. Eight straight so, finals. So, um, Incredible. so yeah. So anyway, so yeah, you knew you had a chance, and then they put guys around him, um, you know. And so yeah, it was it was pretty fun. And then um, the first year, not so mu- not so fun. You know, every time he goes, the first year it's kind of up and down and whatever. So the Lakers have felt that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, year two, though, man, that guy can click it in. So uh, I would. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I've been a Lakers fan over the years too. So anyway, yeah, I just I wasn't in the like burn the jersey faction because that's just that seems ridiculous to me. I would never like if Mike Trout just retired today, I wouldn't burn my Mike Trout jersey. Like I'd be like, all right, I got to watch one of the best players of all time play for a while. What if he went yeah. to the Dodgers? I, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> And I might have to take a year off of baseball or something. <laughs> but I wouldn't burn as dirt. Like, there's just something about, like, I'm still going to recognize what you did while you were here. Yeah. And you, and, like, to know that, so that, to me, was aggressive. I would I would be mad in the that situation. I mean, but I also. The first time he left, he didn't do anything. Inclu- I mean, he took us to the championships, yeah. but didn't, didn't, uh, didn't finish the deal. Just in so. terms of, like, basketball, yeah. like. I mean, I had Kobe, right? Kobe stayed on the Lakers for 20 years. And that entire time, I'm watching Tim Duncan be on the Spurs for 20 years and Dirk Nowitzki be on the Mavericks for 20 years. So, like, these are, like, the staples of their, right? If there was anybody that was going to be in Cleveland and stay in Cleveland for 20 years and build something there, it would have been LeBron. But instead, he goes, like, yeah, yeah. Like, Jordan was a bull for 16 years or whatever until he got ownership in the Wizards and came back for that. Kind of disregard that, 
But like these guys yeah. stayed. Like Isaiah Thomas was a Piston. Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, right, were Pistons the entire time. Bill Lambier yeah. too. Did Lambier play for other? Bill Lambier is irrelevant. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> Bill Lambier should have uh, died sooner, and then we would have been. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, we would have had a championship or something. We'd have, we'd have been. Yeah, those uh, Piston yeah, teams yeah. might not have won without Bill Lambier. And so just like I'm, <laughs> that's what I. Like it, a value of me. loyalty. Sure. It kills me that Shaq ended up playing for like six teams. He played for Cleveland. Did you know that? I did. So yeah. tried. Like yeah. what? That tried. to me that just hurts. <laughs> like if you're one of the if you're one of the all time greats. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be on several teams. Sure. Like that's crazy. Like well, like look at Brett Favre. Brett Favre was on like five teams. And I hate that you were a Packer and then you went to the Viking. What? Biggest that so just that who no he was just the Vikings and the Jets right after uh well oh I'm pretty sure he was in Atlanta at one point really wow no I he don't was, know he wore he was originally uniform. drafted by Atlanta and then he was traded to the Packers he, that means he was on it at one point okay <laughs> <laughs> in, your, in his Hall of Fame career okay, well he Kobe was, was on the Hornets <laughs> I'm just yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna acknowledge <laughs> that part um yeah. I, that's, he yeah, was in Atlanta so. for one year. Oh, well, ninety-one. He was drafted by them. Ninety-two. He came to the Packers. Well, so he was traded then, or something, right? He wasn't. Yes. He didn't just leave. And then, so that's not. He went to New York, and then he went to. I don't Minnesota. care about Brofar. Um <laughs> So yeah. So just to me, as an outsider watching that, like as a Cleveland person, I would be like, Matt. I don't know. I just wouldn't have wanted him back in that situation, and then to go back and forth. I don't even want him on LA. Like. Oh, I. I want. Him. I know a lot of people are excited about it. Like. Be excited. Yes, he's the. I I will readily admit that now that LeBron is the greatest player of all time. Like the totality of everything he's done, the type of player he is in any era, LeBron would be LeBron. I don't like different players, maybe not as much, but LeBron I think is the greatest player of all time. If I am starting a franchise and I can have any player of all time to build a franchise around, it's LeBron. Although the fear he might leave after age. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm playing one game to win one game, I'm taking Michael Jordan, and then I'm taking Kobe Bryant, and LeBron's probably third or fourth. I'm probably taking Jerry West third. But if I'm building a franchise and I need the best player of all time, I'm taking LeBron. But it's just frustrating. I don't know. As an L.A. person <laughs> watching that happen with what Kobe Kobe sticking around, that's just who I am and what I know. I'm impressed that you <laughs> were very happy when well, you came back. You saw how many championships we got in our, in my lifetime. So, That's true. Uh, yeah, back anyone, back. yeah. So when that win happened, because you're out here when that win yep. happens. Yeah. So yep. like, and everyone in California is a Warriors fan, and there's lots of reasons why Jerry Russ is running them, and yeah. you know they're up the street and they play, you know basketball in a fun way i loved watching i still love watching you know those guys play i mean it's it's what they do with the basketball and what was it like to celebrate it like were you able to properly celebrate it like how did you enter into that not uh, being in ohio with well, everyone yeah, well i mean you just it's like a uh, dream come true in a lot of ways like the the yell that he has cleveland you know this is for you i mean that's you know i cried in that moment you know because it's like all of my life rooting for cleveland sports you kind of got over the finish line yeah. you finally got a ring in the middle of all that so that was that was a special moment for sure and you know you no matter how 
you know, we've found ways to lose every time, you know. <laughs> and so whether it's a ball through the legs or whether it's, you know, a, a red right 88 or whether it's, you know, a, a fumble or a drive or, a, you know, whatever, we, we've found ways to do that. So it's just been, uh, yeah, so that, that was a crazy moment. Like you almost don't believe it. Like when he makes that block against Iguodala, you're like, what in the world? And then Kyrie takes that shot, and he yeah. he's taken a lot of dumb shots in his career. You know, I watched him hit a shot up the street here at Staples Center, beat the Clippers because my son loved the Clippers. And so Kyrie in a year one or two, um, you know, he, he can hit shots like that for sure, and he did. I was glad he hit that one. <laughs> but <clears throat> that last – I've rewatched that last – um, seven minutes of that game. It's some really crappy basketball, to be honest. That first, I don't the, even remember the, it. The first four minutes, I think they don't score point. I, I don't know that there's points scored in that like four and a half minutes yeah. before the last uh, Iggy gets a breakout and <clears throat> LeBron blocks a shot. So anyway, because they were all tired. It's game seven. It's like the refs are letting everything go. Speaking of refs, and you know, it's just like yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy. You know, they were putting it all on the line, and good guys won. Once. <laughs> Once. <laughs> I'm glad that you got that experience. <laughs> I, I do feel kind of spoiled, like Boston people feel spoiled now, too. Like, your teams, their teams win all the time. Yeah, that um, wasn't the case in, in my era. Yeah, well, the Celtics, they always had the Celtics. Yeah. The Patriots were horrific. terrible for yeah. a long time. Yep. Um, we could go back to that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, so speaking of Lakers, I will I will admit this. So because my teams were led by Phil Hubbard and Ben Poquette and World Be Free, the Cavaliers. <laughs> um, World Be Free is one of the best names ever. That guy could shoot threes. Oh man. Anyway, uh, so those those guys were my team uh, in the in the 80s. So I I did. You had to root for the Lakers or the Celtics, and I was rooting for Showtime. And so I've always been a Lakers guy, number two. So. Uh, so yeah, I got to watch Magic and James Worthy. James was my guy on that team. You know, being a, James. Being a being a point guard, I should have liked um, you know, Magic. I always liked Magic too, but I, I would say, you know, maybe if if I would put Kareem in the all time great um era. Oh. I mean no one's no one's talking about him as number one. They're always yeah. saying Jordan LeBron. Uh, not enough people talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the greatest That's of all true. time. I, for me the visual I always have of him is the old balding goggles. Lakers, and it shouldn't be because when he was <laughs> Lou Alcindor playing for the Bucks, yeah, the most unstoppable force in the yeah. league. The and, and he was unstoppable with goggles and balding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Speaking of loyalty, I mean, he only played for two teams True. and one championship. Well, in UCLA, he won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. You couldn't dunk in college basketball because he was too dominant. Like, that was an rule insane change. rule. Yeah. The way you said it, I thought that it was a rule. I'm like, oh, okay. It was, it was like a you rule. You weren't allowed to you dunk. You were not allowed to dunk in college basketball because Lou Alcindor was dunking on everybody and it wasn't fair. That's crazy. Yeah. And that was <laughs> that was back when freshmen couldn't play varsity. So his freshman year at UCLA, he was on the freshman UCLA team or the JV UCLA team. And they consistently whooped on the varsity UCLA team that was the best team in the country <laughs> because he was the freshman. Oh, yeah, man. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar might be the best ever. He might. I, I'm not, I wouldn't argue. I, that. I, yeah, I would. I'm glad you're putting LeBron in that spot because that's yeah. a big. That's a big step. I've had for you. other people be very surprised and very happy with me that I finally relented <laughs> in that. But I understand. Yeah. Well, now that we've covered all of the sports <laughs> stuff. <laughs> 
we're, we're going some life stuff. So you've mentioned so broad, broad spectrum family things. You mentioned kids and yep. stuff. What is sure. what is your family look like? Who's yeah. involved? Yeah. What's going on yeah. with <laughs> you? What do you do? Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. What does sure. that look like? Sure. Yeah. So. I married a beautiful woman, Mindy. She was an opera singer in college, and so we met in college and uh, married her. And then uh, she's now a chiropractor. So, yeah, that people are like, what? Uh, <laughs> you married an opera singer and you got a chiropractor? So, yeah. So uh, when our kids went, uh, were all in school, she went back uh, for a second career and became a chiropractor. So really proud of her. She owns her own business here in Southern California. And, um, yeah. Check her out, BrioWellness.com. There you go. Hello. So you can go. Yeah. And uh, this month being uh, Breast uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, she has a really great thing in her office where uh, there's no mammograms are with x-rays, and she has a thing called a thermogram where it's just heat sensing, and they can, about eight years ahead of when a mammogram senses it, uh, they can see hot spots and cancer and all kinds of stuff. It's really pretty amazing what she's got going on in her office. So that's just another woman's health thing. I know not a lot of women are listening here to the podcast, but if you are, yeah. you should check it out. Um, anyway, so uh, and then, yeah, four kids. So my oldest is uh, actually studying to be a chiropractor as well. So. Um, and then my second is staying to be an accountant. He's in uh, Indiana at Grace College. Um, third is at Grace College as well as a first-year student. He doesn't know exactly what he's doing. He's talking about business classes, so we'll see what he ends up doing. That's Kevin, and these guys are good buds. So Kevin was in the youth group here, and a uh, good dude. And then uh, my youngest, Katia, is at home, and uh, she's a junior at Los Alhai. So, yeah, crazy, crazy life. The oldest is Kayla, and second is Corey. Yeah. So... We got a lot of K's going on there. Yep. Explain that. Yeah. What well, it just started. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kayla's name came Mindy as she grew up. All of her dolls, she remembers naming them Kayla Marie, the ones that she liked. And so, when we had our first baby doll, um, she became Ooh. Kayla Marie. That's awesome. So I then we that. were like, um, we were didn't like a lot of boy names, and so we liked Corey and. Uh, Mindy's sister said, hey, what about Corey with a K and an E? And so it's K-O-R-E-Y. And so uh, that ended up being the name that stuck. His middle name is actually after his grandpa. And so Corey Allen. Then Kevin, uh, both my wife and I had really good friends who in our high school and young life were named Kevin. And so we were on the K thing. And so we did Kevin. Um and then we had the KKK, so we had to have another kid. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, uh, so our youngest, her name is Katya, and it's spelled K-A-T-J-A, uh, which is the German or Eastern European spelling. So uh, lots of people call her Katja or <laughs> whatever. They don't know how to say it. But, yeah, so my wife and I, we spent time in Germany as Mindy was uh, – studying german because she was an opera singer and so we spent some time there and so did she actually spent time being an opera singer yeah she did she did a tour in the u.s and tour in in germany so yeah what does that look like uh it was crazy yeah so yeah she didn't sing in any major houses or whatever but she did concerts and stuff so yeah it was just like, just like a as road an, show as an individual yeah. Yeah. touring not yeah. like as part yeah. of a not part of a company or anything like that at that point you know so it was a lot of high church christian stuff and and um you know those sorts of things that, that she did but yeah she was 
blows my quite mind. accomplished. Blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, she cool. has the voice of an angel. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, kids and whatever else kind of and <laughs> Dumb choos- kids choosing to do church the way we did it, which was in houses rather than um, in auditoriums, um, kind of prohibited her from continuing to sing yeah. a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but yeah, so Katya, w- when we were in Germany, uh, four of our friends actually would be a name like Kathy or Catherine here. So pretty common name. Yeah. So they were named Katya and we had only lived there four months, but we had like four really good friends that were named Katya. And mm-hmm. so we were kind of like, Hey, that's, that's the name. So, yeah. So it's like pretty much a Catherine. Catherine. It would be yeah. like the English. Yep. 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 Catherine or Kathy. Yep. Yep. Sure. So, yep. So what do you do? So what I do, uh, a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> I just sit around. <laughs> that is absolutely untrue. Mike is one of the busiest people I've ever met. <laughs> twiddle in my, life. my thumbs. So uh, well, I've been here at Los Altos Grace for uh, 11 years now. Uh, earlier this year, we were sent out to start a start a new church. So we call it Circles of Grace. So we meet here in uh, Long Beach Lakewood area in the park, and so do that stuff. And so we gather on Sundays and check it out circlesgrace.com um and uh yeah so we do that so that's that's pretty fun also work with encompass world partners which is our international mission agency so we have boots on the ground in like 24 25 places in the world um you know it kind of gave me occasion uh what i shared earlier about hosting some of our central african leaders and that sort of stuff so so that's pretty fun. I work in the mobilization area, helping people move and helping churches have good partnerships around the world, that sort of thing. So that's pretty fun. Um, also volunteer as a uh, our network of churches here in the region. We have 20-some churches here in this region, and so uh, called the Grace Churches Network. So I also help facilitate that and, and the Grace Leaders Network, which is the leadership network connected to that. So, so how humble beginnings in Northeast Ohio. Very and humble. <laughs> and over the course of time, you have spent time in Florida, spent time in Maryland, spent time in Germany. You're out here. Like, what is the sequence of events? How did yeah. those things happen? That's a very random path around yeah. the areas. Yeah. Well, I went in in college and seminary. I began, so I went from... You know, my first 18 years were in Ritman, Ohio, <laughs> and then I went to Winona Lake, Indiana, and then stuff got chaotic. Yeah. So uh, Winona Lake, Indiana is a little, little town where Grace College is. And so in that time, I began, you know, really saying, how do you get the Bible and people close together? Um, and so I began to take the Bible really seriously and said, okay, I have this vision of what the church is because I grew up in it and I went on Sundays and mom and dad told me this is what it is, but, you know, kind of... God and I had a moment where it was like, okay, take your church box and then dump everything out and then start over with what the church is. And then I was like, okay, so what do I put back in here? Like Sunday mornings, like what, what goes in here? And God was kind of like in that moment, it wasn't audible, but it was like, well, where, where do you find instructions for life? And so I went back to the Bible and began to read the book of Acts and read some of the New Testament letters and began to say, okay, well, this stuff actually goes in there. And so what began to work for me was I wanted to be involved in ministry and loving people and telling people about Jesus and discipling people and that sort of thing. So that kind of put me on a, on a track for what we call church planting now. And so uh, starting new churches, which 
you know, starts with reaching lost people and, uh, you know, discipling them and that kind of thing. So, um, fortunately my wife's dad was actually the national director for church planting for our family of churches. And so, um, so he was a connection to have, yeah, he was pretty much in my ear all the time. Like you don't (laughs) want to go to an established church. You want to start a church and deal with your own mistakes, (laughs) which, uh, you know, is a thing, you know, I get that. So, uh, yeah, but so we lived in Maryland, in Florida and Maryland doing internships. So those were, um, seasons for that. Um, while I was in seminary before I was done and before those internships was when we lived in Germany. So that was following my wife around. So she took me international, which was really cool. And then, um, we were in, yeah, Florida and then in Maryland. And then we thought we might be planting in the DC area and that sort of thing. God didn't open that door. And so uh, we moved back to Columbus, Ohio, and partnered with a, a Grace Church there on the east side of, of Columbus. And they wanted to plan an urban church, which we had not really lived in much urban spaces yet. And so that was kind of a brand new baptism by fire for us. So we, we church planted in urban Columbus, Ohio. And then uh, while while there, one of our coaches, a guy, an author by the name of Neil Cole, ended up... Um, we ended up having a really good relationship. I ended up doing some kind of admin stuff for him, running conferences, events. I have some administrative gifts, so we ended up doing that. And then he invited us to move out here. To uh, he, he did it at a really opportune time. It was February. I had just run a really good conference out here in Ontario, California. And uh, we had, I don't know, 400 people there or whatever. I was feeling really good about everything. And there was a snowstorm coming <laughs> to our home in Columbus, Ohio. Get out now. Get out now. And so Neil says, hey, how would you like to move to California? And I'm looking at the palm trees and the 65-degree weather. And I'm thinking, yeah, I could do this. And so, um, so, but the problem was it was a part-time job. And so who moves to California with their four kids and wife for a part-time job? Not very many people did. Nope. So uh, fortunately, the lead pastor here at Los Altos Grace, Phil Helfer, was on the board of of the ministry, and so he said, "Hey, we could use some help at Los Altos Grace. Maybe two two part times would work." And so that was kind of how we ended up getting here to Southern California. It's quite a path. Yeah, yeah, that was a long. Um, a friend of ours who you were also friends with, he um, Ian Silva, he uh-huh. asked me. Uh, a question to ask you. He says, at what point did he, as in you, know that he, as in you, wanted to move the family from Ohio to Long Beach and eventually start their own church in Long Beach and the journey and the process that is, or, no, oh, that took it to get get where he is now. He didn't really read that very well. <laughs> <laughs> or it might not have been read very well. We don't know. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, Ian, I'm glad I could answer the first part of your question uh, in my preface. So hopefully you got to this part and got through all the Cleveland stuff and got to this part of the thing. So thanks for asking. Uh, Yeah, so for us, you know, the church planting thing, uh, that was had been part of our heart, you know, part of my heart, you know. And and when we were in Columbus, it really kind of resonated. We moved into a community very much like San Francisco or, you know, here in Long Beach, Belmont Shore, that was very progressive and very not church friendly. And, uh, you know, felt like, you know, we wanted to be the presence of Jesus in that space. And so uh, kind of did that. It was fun to live on the front edge of, you know, taking, you know, the tip of the spear, as they say, taking, trying to take the gospel into a spot that isn't um, where Jesus isn't known very well. And so 
um, that was really the, the the nature of our neighborhood, and we fell in love with kind of being on the on the tip of the spear. Um, God has to show up in those spaces, and you see people's lives change, and you, you lose things along the way. You have to sacrifice a lot, and all that sort of stuff. But um, it's really really a cool thing. And so so I've been about you know starting new churches all the time, and you know part of the vision when we came here um, in 2008 to Southern California was that we would plant, and so um, over you know, the 10-year time I was at Los Altos Grace, it wasn't really obvious uh, when that could happen. But then we brought some really good guys on staff, like Bob, uh, whose office we're in right now, and Jacob, who's uh, on the other side of the mic. And um, so as those guys are on the team here, it was kind of like, hey, you know, there's there's some really, you know, the team is kind of filled out, and there's really good things going on at Los Altos Grace. Maybe it's time to step out and be on the tip of the spear again. And so that's that's kind of what what we always had in mind and the elders here knew that and that sort of thing. I know it took some people by surprise that we were, that we were doing that, but um, that's always been part of our heart. And so it's been fun to, to be in that space again. So free rewind, re, we rewind. That's a tough phrase that we I just saying rewind. out loud right now. We rewind. If we rewind a bit. Um, so you grew up in the church, obviously. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Was there like, so I did not, so I'm always curious about like where your mindset was in terms of how how did your faith progress as a kid? Like what's your earliest memory of Jesus, of like knowing Jesus? What does that look like? When did you when did Jesus I guess become real for you? When did you feel like it was your own faith compared mm-hmm. to your parents' faith? Like what did what was that process sure. like of like sure. young Mike figuring yeah, out his sure. faith? Sure. Well the first, you know, engagement with Jesus that I remember I was four years old and in our county we had a county fair and um, Wayne County Fair which is still a big big deal for my family and so county fairs are the best yeah so uh, they're you know it it happens the first week of September every year and yeah I have you know relatives that still take animals down to show them and all that kind of stuff but anyway at the Wayne County Fair there was uh, this thing called the Bible bus, and the goal of it was to get kids on the bus and tell them about Jesus and have them embrace him. And so I'd been, you know, part of the church and whatever, and so you go on, and they kind of did a simple explanation of the gospel, and it was kind of the moment that it, it sort of clicked for me. I, I was only four or five. I don't think I was even, I was in kindergarten or something. Uh, but I remember praying, and uh, I remember an old lady kind of walked me through it. My mom was right there. Dad was outside of the bus, but, you know, I was like, yeah, I want to pray this prayer. And so that was kind of the first, my first, you know, formational memory. I remember getting baptized at, you know, I was eight or nine years old. I don't remember exact year. My my brother and I got baptized at the same time. He was a couple years younger. Was that a decision you remember actively making? Uh, I remember that, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to do that. My brother did too, you know, um, so yeah, doing it together was pretty special. So the little Ritman Grace Church in the front, you know, on a cold uh, winter day it was cold when we got out of that uh, yeah I don't know the, that the water was heated either so anyway mm. it was I remember it was we weren't outside or anything but it was cold I do remember that but yeah so named my faith before the Lord and then I always kind of walked with them I stayed in the youth group you know was involved in whatever the summer between my junior and senior year I really I had a great experience I went on a summer ministry trip called Operation Barnabas and over that summer then I realized that you know, people really could take the gospel seriously, take the Bible seriously, live on mission, trying to tell other people about it, 
and also you could live in community with really cool people. <laughs> and so I was, you know, more of a loner, shy guy, you know, not super um, engaging with lots of people and stuff. And so I, um, you know, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know, you know, Christians were really cool because not every Christian in my little town was super cool because I wasn't. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, kind of that summer, like that experience over six or seven weeks really, you know, kind of cemented, you know, into me a passion for the Bible, a passion for people, a passion for, you know, community, making good friends and taking the gospel to people who don't know it. And so, so that was kind of when it really clicked for me. Um, and then, um, you know, I went to college at Grace. Uh, you know, I went to public high school all the way through. And so I was kind of glad to go to a Christian college so that I didn't have to defend my faith and uh, stuff about evolution and everything else, even though my my upbringing was good and all that kind of stuff. The school there wasn't crazy liberal or anything like that. It was just nice to go to a place where you get a biblical worldview. And so did that. And then um, in that first year, a uh, guy who's now a pastor, his name's Mike Yoder. He really invested in me. He was my RA. And part of what they set up at Grace is that your RA, who's kind of overseeing your hall, um, he kind of invests in you as a discipleship kind of model, you know. And so we had, I don't know, 12 or 15 guys on my hall. And Mike was involved in all of our lives. And that was really cool. And so I, I was like, man, that's really, really cool. I like what Mike's doing to me. Maybe I could do that for someone else. And so I fell in love with my Bible classes through that first year. And then I was like, man, I want to apply to be an RA and see if I can do this again. So even as a sophomore, I was able to be an RA. And, uh, so at that time I hung up my basketball sneakers. So, and, uh, became an RA and, and, uh, yeah, that kind of more than any of my Bible classes or whatever, the opportunity to actually invest life on life with people was the thing that really cemented a trajectory to ministry. It was hard to hang up the, hang up my shoes, but, uh, I played a lot of intramural ball and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but I was not, a I was not an athlete <laughs> that could compete at the collegiate level. So I was really a hack and, you know, really, um, not that good, but got to be part of a championship team in college. So that was pretty fun. That is really cool. The so with the story about Mike and stuff, that was going to be one of my questions: is who are a couple people that in your life were spiritual leaders, people that you looked to and said, "Those are those are men of God. Those who that's what I want to look like." Or people who just that were part of your life that really influenced who you were and how your faith played out. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, obviously my parents, first of all, you know, they stayed together, you know, my whole life. And, uh, so they're both with Jesus now. And so I miss them, but they, they would have been, you know, first and foremost, cause they, um, you know, took it serious and lived by it. We're at church, you know, regularly and, and try to live it out, you know, so that was, uh, that would be first, you know, was there and, a point with them that it went from being a kid who's just like annoyed that your parents are making you go to church and they're making you believe this and listen to this and then like a transition to like no these are people that I need to be looking towards like was that something that happened or were you like always kind of mature towards that or like yeah do you remember uh, well <laughs> you know probably you know I at 18 you know I left home and I went back for summers but that was kind of it actually my brother um, over that summer in, uh, after I graduated from high school, we went to a summer event that's now called Momentum, which is a youth conference, and it was out here, actually, at Northern Arizona University. My brother 
uh, was on an excursion that day and uh, one of the days during the week, and he actually was climbing in a canyon and fell. And uh, dramatically, um, the Lord saved his life. He fell, they estimate, about 200 feet. He fell and got a concussion kind of right away, uh, broke tons of bones. They didn't know if he was going to live. He was in a coma for um, three or four days. And so... um, so that all happened, and I'm at the conference trying to figure out, you know, how do you manage life? But I couldn't go to the hospital. He was in a coma, whatever. It was toward the end of the week, and so I ended up just flying home. My mom flew out um, to be with him, and my dad had to be home because I was leaving to go to college in, in a week or so. And so um, so that that moment of kind of realizing you know, my mom was, I was closer to my mom, but she wasn't going to be there to send me off because she had really important things to do to watch out yeah. for my brother while she's in, while he's in Arizona. So I remember, you know, wandering around trying to find a suitcase and we didn't have any suitcases. My dad, you know, I don't know how he afforded to buy me stuff to go to college because we didn't have any money, but somehow he, you know, bought me a suitcase. I remember buying it and then drug it home and stuck as much stuff in the suitcase. And then he drove me out to college and, um, kind of at that point, then I was on my own, you know, and, um, and I looked, you know, I went home for summers and, you know, took good care to, you know, be a, a good son and that kind of stuff. Tried to go home on the weekends and that sort of stuff. But yeah, so a lot of my community then became the folks at Grace. And so Mike Yoder would have been, you know, part of that in my, my growing up years, my pastor at my church, he came when I was like seven or whatever. He's still the pastor of the church, Bud Oshesky. Wow. Um, yeah. So I could talk about loyalty and uh, putting on a jersey for <laughs> a long time. Decades. Yeah. So he actually brought soccer to our city. Um, he grew up in the streets of Philadelphia, played uh, soccer with Matt Barr and Chris Barr. I don't know if you remember those names. They were kickers for the Giants and for the Jets. Yeah. So um, anyway, he played soccer with those guys. And uh, wow. anyway... So he played soccer all of his life and in our city. We had never, I don't think I ate a taco until I was in high school. So we weren't very uh, acculturated. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) yeah. So anyway, we were in the middle of nowhere. So it is what it is. But, um, so yeah, I played on his, he brought soccer to our city. So I, I played on his soccer team and then, um, he had me coaching these little kids. I didn't know anything about soccer. I was just trying to get them to stay in yeah. their lanes and stay in their positions. But anyway, all that to say, you know, Bud's been part of my life, you know, all all through the journey. So he's kind of always been there standing for the Bible and, you know, standing for love and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, and then obviously in college, lots of folks. So so it was cool. Yeah, and then later in life, I mean, Phil Helfer and Neil Cole and others, you know, who have been, you know, part of getting us here to California and that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been cool. You got anything? I got uh, a couple yeah. more, but uh, I got a few questions. Yeah. Um, mostly about church planning and stuff yeah. like that. Um, sure. What, in your opinion, is the most difficult part about it? Yeah. Well, the the difficult part is that you have you don't have any props. Um, you really, depending on how you do it, um, there's, there's nothing there. So you kind of have to, you know, start with trying to find people who would Mm -hmm. respond to your vision, uh, and respond to, you know, knowing Jesus and, you know, either leaving their church or being released from their church or whatever. If you're going to start with believers, if you're not going to start with anybody, then, you know, you got to win some people to Jesus. And, uh, unfortunately part of my story in this journey was, you know, over 10 years of being here in Southern California, I 
two very administrative kinds of roles that were working with a lot of church people and whatever. And so I kind of had gotten out of, you know, running with my neighbors and running with, you know, people who, who didn't know Jesus yet. And so part of this year for me has been reengaging in, in the community in a way that is with people who don't know Jesus and trying to develop those relationships and those sorts of things. And so, um, so, you know, the hardest thing about church planting is, is that, um, you, you don't, there's no, uh, no stability to it. And, you know, you're depending on Jesus and people and Jesus you can count on, but people are kind of up and down and they're yeah. with you for a season. And sometimes they're not. And, you know, even people who are new to the faith, you know, five days, they look great. And two days they like, will you know, cut your, cut you in the back and, you know, uh, or they'll, you know, steal from you or they'll, you know, whatever, you know, just cause people are people. And so that's, that's the thing, I guess. Uh, but the, the flip side, the great thing about that is that you get to watch people's lives change yeah, people yeah. who are, you know, awesome. caught in drugs or caught in their own selfishness or caught in whatever now begin to live their lives for somebody else. Mm-hmm. They begin to live it for Jesus and to give their life away to others. And so that's, that's the upside. Um, so yeah, it's great if you can go with the team. We had you know not much of a team as we've started out, and so that's been that's made this this time a little bit harder. We had probably too big of a team when we started in Columbus. I'd you know, uh, but we're trying to do it really relational, and we're not starting with a Sunday morning and PowerPoint and the band and all that sort of stuff. We're trying to um, when I talk about no props, you know, there's no smoke machine that draws people. There's no uh, super cool Instagram page. There's no you know. Um, you know, there's really just an authentic walk with Jesus that is a, that we have to offer. And if we don't have that, then we really have nothing to offer. And sometimes that's hard to get to that and actually live that out in front of people. So, um, so that's what it means, you know, for me, when I say there's no props, there's no, yeah. uh, there's no history, there's no, you know, rhythm for people, you know, whatever we're developing that, you know, we have a rhythm now being in a park and, uh, people are finding us and we have a, a guy that, you know, um, he was living in his van and he came out a few times now that we've been right there eating in front of him. Um, and so this Sunday he showed up, you know, wandering across the park. Now we were already done. He's like, ah, sorry, I'm late, but he knows where it was. And we have a rhythm now. And so he's kind of found that rhythm and uh, found us. And so we'll, we'll see what God does in his life. But, um, but that's the fun part of finding new, new space for new people to be using their gifts and yeah. new people to find Jesus. So is that helpful? Yeah. Uh, where do you see it in five years? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, Jesus, um, we have a saying uh, that the church is conceived in heaven before it's birth on earth. Mm-hmm. And so it was a glimmer in our father's eye before it was actually born on earth. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think God has a plan for uh, Circles of Grace. I don't know what that is. You know, we initially um, did not feel like we had to be the church planter or the, or the centerpiece of that. We um, had talked with a variety of people who were in ministry um, that might be anxious to kind of be a point person but might not have the the faith to do it on their own and we could kind of be a support team for them because Mindy and I don't need this on our resume. We're not doing it for any of, you know, personal advancement (laughs) or anything like that. We're just doing it because people need to know Jesus. And because my wife being a chiropractor has a lot of people that she gets to talk with and pray with and help heal and whatever. And they uh, tend to bond with her. And so how do we create a new community that's actually spiritual in nature that they can connect with? And so a lot of the folks that are connected are, are, um, you know, her patients or have been or whatever. And so, so that, that's kind of, you know, been the organic way in which we've 
done this, but we feel like um, we we're not trying to hold this with uh, with a closed fist uh, and be very open. So we're open to other leaders coming. We're open to the church making decisions about what the church wants to be. <laughs> and so uh, we don't have a before when I was younger. I was like, oh, this is the vision. We got to do this. We got to plant churches in this area, and we got to do house churches here and this way, and all that sort of stuff. And had a pretty uh, maybe wrote curriculum for what we wanted to do this time. It's really been God. You want us to do this. So our kids experience church planting again so that we can reach people that are coming to my wife's office and so that we can, you know, just disciple people. And so it's super open handed, uh, hoping that, you know, because Jesus says he'll build his church, he'll build it. And we're just willing to kind of open our hands and lives and, and hearts to say, okay, what is it that you want? So I don't have a grand plan for five years from now. Um, yeah. So Jesus does. <laughs> I'm glad to follow it and watch it play out. Very good. Um, what does your normal Sunday services look like? Yeah. Great question. So we've, uh, we typically, you know, we meet in the park. Um, so we meet in a circle, which makes sense, right? So we throw out a few, uh, throw up a table um, and uh, put some food on it, and some people will bring donuts or, you know, breakfast snacks that people can have. We meet at 1030, so we try to meet at times when other churches are meeting on purpose because uh, we didn't want people that would be kind of double-dipping in their church life. We really wanted to, most people orient their, if they're already engaged in a church and, and do that at Sunday mornings, and so we wanted to kind of hit that spot so that we had people that were kind of devoted to our our expression, our community. And so we do that at uh, 1030. We throw up a table, put some uh, lawn chairs out, and uh, people start showing up. And then we typically do some sort of an icebreaker question. You know, what's, how's your week been? Uh, highs and lows, a uh, variety of things. Sometimes we'll get, you know, cute and attach it to the message, you know, a little bit, you know, where the Bible topic's going to be and that sort of thing. We typically spend a little bit of time in worship, either with a psalm or um, we don't have currently yet uh, musical worship. Um, so we're, uh, we had some people that we thought might dial that up for us, but that hasn't happened yet. And so we're, we're kind of praying for that. And, you know, and we know that someone strumming a guitar, or whatever, would certainly draw, attract some people in the park. Um, so we're praying about that. That'd be cool if someone out there is listening and since the Lord's popped it out of your heart, call me, text yep. me at Mike Gentis. <laughs> um, and so, uh, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, all my social media places. But anyway, yeah, so, so that's, uh, so we do something for worship though, something focused on mm-hmm. Jesus, on, on God. A lot of times that we read a Psalm just to kind of, because they make us reflect on, on the Lord in a special way, then, um, we, uh, will spend time in the scripture. So we'll, we'll actually, we read through the book of Acts kind of one chapter at a time right now. We, uh, are in the book of Luke, and so Luke is really verbose in Acts and in Luke, but he, uh, yeah, so there's like 80 verses in this week's chapter, so we had to really blitzkrieg through it, but uh, we typically just read it and talk about it as we're going through. Um, there's some points that people want to make, but we, everybody knows what t- passages come in, so people read it ahead of time. Some people have something to share, some people don't, uh, some people are reading it for the first time, and uh, so we have Bibles there that people can share and that kind of thing. So we try and go right in on that. And then we uh, we try and make sure that every week everybody gets prayed for. So one of the things that is important for me about church life is that you actually get prayed for. Mm-hmm. And um, 
That sounds a little selfish, but at the same time, uh, I think that's the most important thing we can do for people is is, is, is to be prayed. Yeah, and you and you uh, in a special way, you and Jesus and that other person are in a unique uh, space of intimacy and spiritual breakthrough, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do believe God answers those prayers in a special way. And so we, we do that. And uh, then we often will pray for the food after that, about uh, about quarter till uh, noon, so 11.45. So we gather for about an hour and 15, and then uh, we kind of take a break and then, you know, roll out the food. Um, it's a little hard sometimes. You know, we got crock pots in the cars, keeping warm or whatever, and then we kind of roll that out, eat um and then after people eat, some people eat, some people don't, some people have to run off to their day or whatever, but we hang out in the park for, uh, it's probably about an hour, about one o'clock every, every week we're kind of done. And so we have some water there and if people are coming by, we're glad to invite them to come and grab a bite to eat or, you know, just take a water bottle if they're exercising in a park or whatever. So we're there, there's lots of baseball games and soccer games and all that kind of stuff. Those guys are all there with a different agenda. So we're not you know, going out and trying to wrestle all those people yeah. down. Maybe in some other time we'll we'll do some of that stuff. But right now, that's kind of what it looks like on Sundays. Um, so, but that's not the whole of what we do. You know, hopefully our people are spending time in the Word and during yeah. the week, and you know, the habits of uh, living a, a God honoring life are, are part of that, and people getting together and keeping each other accountable and that kind of stuff. But that's what a Sunday would look like for us. Perfect. So, we might just end with. This one last. Are you good? Yeah, I I've asked what I've needed to ask. <laughs> um, we've been going for a while. I know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm. Extent. No, apologize. This is great. Um, this is just one of my favorite questions because, like, I know how I would answer it, and that's why it's so impactful and powerful for me. And we all have different relationships with Jesus and how um, He's at work in our lives. So, just what. What is like the one way or what are the couple of ways that in your life at any point now, early on, whatever, how do you know, especially with all the like truths that exist, how do you know that Jesus is real? How do you know that your faith is the one that makes sense and that God is clearly the God, the creator of the world? Like, how do you, how does Mike (laughs) know Sure. Yeah. Well, I I mean, from experience, from the scripture and from logic in a lot of ways, you know, those those three things, you know, are convergence Uh, for me. I put a lot of trust in the Bible, you know, spent my whole life studying it now. Um, And, you know, I still think that it's the word of God and that it has, you know, changed people's lives. It's changed mine. You know, Um, I went to college to be a my my big dream was to own a Foot Locker and have athletic clothes and the shoes and all that sort of stuff. You know, back in the day, Michael Jordan. You know, Spike Lee was like, "It's got to be the <laughs> shoes." So I, you know, kind of bit that line and thought, "Oh, it's got to be the shoes." But I did find out it's Jesus, and so uh, yeah. So that um, so yeah, I I think that there's rational, logical, reasonable. I do think my faith is reasonable. I do think that the Christian faith is is reasonable make sense of what's going on in the world um, in the unseen places like love and like the supernatural and it also makes sense of the logical stuff of science and the earth and you know uh, the flood and those sorts of things that seem um, overly over the top to some 
So I think that there's good good stuff in the Bible about all of those things that, that helps us with science and faith and reason and rationality. And then just uh, watching Jesus show up in my life um, in all sorts of places has been pretty obvious. So I um, there's an old hymn that's like, uh, I come to the garden alone. Um, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Um, and that was one of my mom's favorite hymns. And I was always like, how does that work, mom? You know, yeah. like, how does well, I've had that experience of walking with Jesus long enough that um, there are certainly times in the dark where it's like, oh, man, does God really still love me or not? You know, that I don't think that that doubt and our relationship is like all relationships. Sometimes it's really close and sometimes it's strained and that sort of thing. And so um, but I, I do have a confidence that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And so that would be how I know, you know, from from an objective standpoint of what it says in the scripture, from a logical, rational standpoint, you know, I think Christianity helps answer the questions of life. And uh, from a subjective, you know, heart relational space, you know, it's really, really special to walk with Jesus for a long time and, and uh, help share him with others. That's, that's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us in sure. Bob's office. We yeah. appreciate it very much. Hopefully our listeners out there are getting some stuff out of this. Again, we encourage everybody, comment, send us stuff, direct message. If you have questions about whatever, if you have general questions that you think guests would enjoy answering, if you have things that you want me and Jake to talk about, if you've got your own sports interjections on it, whatever it is, find us, contact us, at From Bob's Office on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, I think I'll still keep posting the videos on YouTube, but... We're going to be pretty consistent on Spotify now and hopefully iTunes in the next couple of days. So find us on those things. We are down for sponsorships. So if you just want to send us money out of the goodness of your heart or if you want to sponsor a segment or something or if you want this intro brought to you by whoever, you know, we're down. Whatever you want that to look like is great. Um, we're excited about it. We're, we're thankful for the guests that are willing to come on and we're really excited about what's coming up next. If you happen to be listening to this before Thursday, our guest on Thursday is a really good friend of Jake's and that's going to be its own really, really cool conversation. We're both looking forward to that. Um, do you have any closing words? Uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening and I uh, hope you guys all have a good week. Um, we'll be talking about our predictions for the NFL coming weekend and um that's about what we're looking like on thursday so please uh join us and we're gonna have a great conversation with a good friend of mine that i haven't seen in a few years and you'll learn why <laughs> so with that i'm jacob and i'm jake i'm mike census and we'll see you next time